0: Good morning, Renaissance Church, and those of you out there. Um, good morning, or good afternoon, good evening, depending on when you're watching this. Jesus. So um, anyway, uh, I'm excited to share uh, this passage that we're going to be going through this morning. In case you're unaware, uh, for the past months, I don't even know how long it is, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians with all of our Sunday messages Um And uh, it's only uh, a book that has six chapters in it, but we've really been diving in deep, passage by passage, even taking a uh, a verse or two. Uh, This morning, I'm going to be looking at chapter 6, starting at verse 13, and that just kind of goes to show you that we're near the end, because we're in chapter 6, but um, I think this is a a really powerful um, few things that Paul has to say um, this morning, so... Let's get into it. Uh, before I get into the meat of the word, I want to just lay a little bit of framework for where we're going and where we've been. Last week, uh, Pastor Scott focused on uh, the first couple verses of this uh, paragraph where it talks about uh, that there are uh, rulers and authorities, cosmic par- powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, that our our struggle, our fight in life is not against... Uh, Flesh and blood. It's not against people, it's not against the leaders of Iran or your co-workers or your boss or those people. Now, they could be influenced by, you know, these dark forces, but our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the cosmic powers, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And these are the demonic forces that run the realms of evil, darkness, sickness, and death on earth. These forces are not in hell they're here on earth um, Paul even refers earlier in the book in Ephesians 2 he says he refers to Satan as the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit the little us he's the spirit uh, that rules the kingdom of the air and in 2nd Corinthians Paul writes and refers to Satan as the god little g of this age so If we take the Bible as the final source of truth, which we'll just assume that we do, um, hopefully we do, uh, as believers in Jesus, if we take the Bible as the final source of truth when we're talking about these things, we have to recognize that there's more going on than we can see with our physical eyes. And I'm sure some of you have uh, experienced some of this stuff, even deeper and and stronger, um, whether they be forces of good or forces of evil, that uh, um, you've uh, experienced them in in some way or another. Um, And it's important to note that the forces of Satan are out to get us, not simply to tempt us to do evil things, although they can do that, but to make us miserable, to make us depressed, to make us unbelieving, and really to make us ineffective, especially in our ministry to the world of healing and bringing others to Jesus. That's what Satan wants to stop. That's what the demonic forces want to stop. Because if we're followers of Jesus, Satan's already lost the war for our soul. But he keeps battling us because he hates us. Now what Paul has been saying throughout Ephesians from the beginning is, God has not only saved us for eternal life, which is really important, but he's left us here and he's given us his gifts and his strength for today. He gives us his armor, which we'll talk about in a couple minutes. And Paul says, this is our battle. In 2 Corinthians again, he says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world or are not carnal. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. Strongholds here is, uh, think of them as uh, demonic spiritual fortresses. So here's the deal. The gospel never promises that life is going to be easy, but better once you start following Christ. And with this new, better, peaceful, joyful, graceful, purposeful life that we ought to be living in, God says, at times, it's still going to be a battle or a struggle. And that's why people refer to a lot of this stuff, as I think Asa did, as spiritual warfare. The enemy comes after you because he hates you. Okay. Okay. So what? What do do we do? Well, thank God that he doesn't just give us information about demonic forces and leave us there. Okay, I've told you about them, and now you kind of figure it out and do it on your own. That's not the way our God works. Rather, if you look into our passage this morning, Ephesians 6.13 and following, it talks about how to stand your ground in this battle. So let's uh, just jump into the first verse, Ephesians 6, 13. Therefore, in view of what we heard last week, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm Verse 14 starts with, stand therefore. Now, the fact that Paul keeps using this word, stand or withstand, is pretty significant. <clears throat> now, when I was learning about how to read the Bible or how to study the Bible early on in my um, Christian walk, I, had my, I heard my, and remember my pastor saying, if you hear a word repeated in the same paragraph or same passage, um, take note but if you hear it three times, really pay attention because there's something going on here. Well, this word stand is actually used four times in this paragraph, and Paul uses it over and over and over, over 20 times throughout his um, writings in the New Testament. Now, I don't think we have to look deeply into what stand means. I, I think it's kind of pretty straightforward. Stand in this, in the, in this place and, and in most places means don't sit idly by. Now rest, Sabbath, good, holy things. But I don't think the enemy takes a break. Yes, we should live into the full abundant life, joy and peace that God has provided and promised for now. But we are never called to be complacent or apathetic but we are simply called to stand. And we'll see this played out as we look deeper into the scripture. Now, I don't think it's all that important to uh, identify each godly value with each piece of armor, but more to know that we as believers in Jesus already have all of these tools to resist the devil and walk with Jesus. And we can think of using these wholesale. They're meant to be used together not necessarily just one at a time. So don't get all bogged down in, oh, well, today I'm using faith and tomorrow I'm going to be using uh, the knowledge of salvation. They're meant to be used together, just like a soldier doesn't put on just one piece of armor. But that being said, there's a reason God inspired Paul to write it this way, where he paints a picture of our spiritual weapons in our struggle against the forces of enemy as analogous to the armor worn by the Roman army soldiers of Paul's time. And for me, and us, I think it provides a pretty amazing picture of what it kind of all looks like. So, verse 14. Stand firm, having fastened on the belt of truth. Paul's first piece of armor in verse 14 is truth and truth is foundational. It is so important, and it's kind of the beginning. Now, I'm not willing to say that it's the most important of these values or pieces, but there's a reason that Paul puts it first on the list, I think. With the belt on, the soldier was ready for action, right? He was ready to go. If the belt was loose, he was either being lazy, or he was off duty. In the Old Testament scriptures, you find uh, God, or the commander of different armies, would say when they're ready to go to fight, Gird up your loins, Put your, you know, tighten your belt. The soldiers used the, the belt to gather up his tunic, keep his breastplate actually in place, and hold the, shor- the sword uh, with the sheath in it. It held up everything, the belt, it was foundational. Now, if you think about a belt in our times, it's the thing, unless you wear skinny jeans, I guess, that holds it all up, that keeps our pants on. And you really don't want to get caught with your pants down, right? Physically or spiritually. And by way of this analogy, everything that we as followers of Christ believe in is held up and held together by truth. Again, rest, self care, Sabbath, these are important things. But we are never called to be off duty in our faith or dedication to God. Well, have you noticed the idea of truth has lost its place in our culture lately? We want to blame it on contemporary mainstream media or presidents or politicians. Because it really seems to have amped up with social media and picked up steam in, in, in our Western culture lately. But it's really not new. I mean, you go back to the first temptation of Jesus and, and uh, you know, the serpent was questioning what is, what is true. But bit by bit, truth has been eroding over time and even starting to crumble in our day, in our century. The great, uh, late great philo- philosopher Dallas Willard saw it in plain view over 20 years ago. If you read the introduction of his book, The Divine Conspiracy, you can see it all over there. And if you look 80 uh, years ago to somebody that many of you have read, C.S. Lewis, he wrote about the decay of truth 80 years ago. So this isn't new. But truth as we talk about it in a Postmodern, post Christian world is not only mushy, but it's relative. It Maybe true for you, but it's not true for me. There's no absolute truth, right? But we, not just as Christians, but just as kind of ordinary people, need to have some immutable, non eroding, unchaining truth or purpose. Because without that, our reason for life becomes fuzzy, aimless, dark, and even unnecessary. Our lives become unnecessary and meaningless. But thanks be to God, our non-erodible rock. When God saves us from our sins, He also saves our minds from the lie of the enemy, the meaningless of this life on earth. When God reveals Himself to us as believers in the, in the Gospel of Jesus, we believe He really reveals Himself and speaks in Scripture, and He doesn't hold back. We are given a straightforward answer to the questions: What is truth or what is the truth? What is real? or what can we count on to hold everything together? Well, the answer to that is, the what is actually a who. Consider, there's only one who could say in full truth that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our number one truth is found in the person of Jesus Christ and what he did and is doing and will continue to do. Truth is important to God and in Scripture. I mean, if you do a study on the word truth uh, in Scriptures, it's everywhere. Over two-thirds of the books, the books of the Bible um, talk about it some, uh, at some point, at some level. So it's everywhere, and it's important, right? It's important to God, and it ought to be important to us. So we must live by the truth. Yes, we need to be lifelong learners, right? Continue to, you know, Proverbs talks about gain understanding, gain wisdom, you know, education is good. But we need to be firmly anchored and unmoved in the one truth of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And what that means to us. Truth foundational to stand now I'd love to spend more time on truth because there's so much more to say but there's other great things to talk about that God provides for us here so continuing on verse 14 stand firm with the breastplate of righteousness in place now back in the first century the breastplate was big and shiny stretching usually from the neck down to the thighs. It was imposing and evident to all. Uh, Oftentimes it showed your identity, which side you were on. But Paul is talking about standing righteously. But what does that mean? What does righteousness mean? Well, in my study, I find that righteousness actually seems to have two aspects or or two meanings um, that work together. But first, if you look at the Hebrew word for righteous, it's very closely related to the word justice and often translated interchangeably. Some call this civil righteousness, standing for what is right, standing. You know, the issues of our day, you know, human trafficking, racism, human rights abuses that we hear on the news that are happening overseas and even here, religious liberty, poverty, corruption, you name it, standing for what is right. These are things that are not right. And when we stand up and fight for what is right or righteous, and we do it because it's God's issue, not just our own opinion, people know it and see it and are often changed by it. It's not just a t-shirt. It's a breastplate. The second aspect of righteousness is that righteousness implies pursuing holiness, God's purity and holiness. What is morally right? Like not lying, not talking back to your parents, not gossiping, not sexual immorality. Again, you name it. Standing and living in a godly way in these things stands out as a shining light in a very dark place. Just as the breastplate is imposing, everyone can see that. But notice, continuing with righteousness, in living righteously, Paul and God are not asking you to run from the darkness, but to fight against it. If you read the Gospel of John, when Peter is, or when Jesus is praying for his disciples, he prays to the Father, God, I'm not asking you to to take them out of the world, but leave them in the world, but protect them. They are to be in the world, to you know, fight and, and to uh, live in abundance and to share the good news of Jesus. They're in the world, but I just pray that they would not be of the world. They wouldn't be swayed by the, the culture of the world, but they would be in the world. He never asks for us to be taken out, but for us to be protected. We are not called to be out of the world. Okay. Moving on to verse 15. I don't have real great uh, translations and uh, transitions in this uh, this morning, but that's okay. So in verse 15, uh, the soldiers the Roman soldiers had to march long distances uh, quite often to, to engage in battle, and they obviously had to move their feet and be sturdy when they were fighting. Uh, most of the Ro- Romans who fought wore special spiked boots for their battle gear. And as shoes for your feet, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, Paul says, or boots for your feet, whatever you want to call them. Now this refers to not just knowing the gospel, which means good news, gospel equals good news, but having the readiness and motivation for spreading God's word of life and peace. One of the most, I think one of the, maybe the most beautiful and powerful verse in, the, in all of the Bible, it's gotta be one of my favorites, is found in Isaiah 52.7. I'm gonna take a drink so that I can say it loudly. Isaiah fifty-two 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation and says to Zion and all the people, your God reigns. Man, you need shoes to move. God has called all of us to be evangelists, bearers of good news. In case you're unaware, when you said you were going to follow Jesus, you signed up to follow him into places that others don't know him. This isn't in the fine print. This is straightforward. And you're called to share his story with others. God's name brand shoes makes the best walking shoes. They don't wear out. Okay. Moving on to verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, flaming darts, might be easier to understand them as as flaming arrows. That's also translated uh, arrows. Now, it's interesting to note about these uh, arrows. Um, Back in the 1st century or beforehand, uh, around the Roman uh, times, the Roman occupation, and in the Greeks, the archers who, who uh, shot their arrows um, often you, you've seen it in the movies they, they ha- shot flaming arrows. Um, what they did is they, they, they uh, had their normal um, arrows and they, they put tar around them and uh, refuse and, and lit them on fire, and then shot them and the interesting thing is that you know your the, the shield or whatever you had would initially stop the arrow but the tar was such that it would spread get on you even if you stop the arrow it could get on you destroy you because it's flaming and it could even get on those around you so it was really a destroying weapon even a couple of them it caused destruction and 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 chaos but What can we say about these arrows? Because Paul doesn't really explain, doesn't say a lot about them. He just says, you know, watch out for the flaming arrows of the evil one. What can we say about them in a spiritual sense? Like I said, Paul doesn't make a connection to what we're to expect of these or what these are metaphorically. And it's actually the only place in the passage where it states, this is the work of the evil one. So perhaps... For Paul, it's a way to say, here's a reminder, guys. Just as we're not to be off-duty, neither is the enemy. Just because we're going out to battle him, he's not going to sit idly by and let us roll over him and retake ground we have given to his forces. Nope. The other side is going to use some of its fiercest weapons. But The question is again, what are they? Well, I think there are a lot of things. And I think when we're thinking about it for ourselves, what do you struggle with? Do you struggle with wallowing in doubts about forgiveness? Do you struggle with getting in bad relationships? Do you struggle with being complacent about the things of God? Substance abuse, shopping addiction, consumerism, workaholism, addiction to social media, abuse, watching movies, your TV that you shouldn't, fits of rage, envy, etc. you know, name it. What do you struggle with? It seems to me that the devil sees these things. He's here, remember. And while he's evil, he's not stupid these may be the fiercest weapons that he has to attack you or me. Because unless you've repented and taken care of these things, he knows where you're weak or where I'm weak. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. So he knows where we're weak. But as believers, we also know what God can do. Our faith is faith in ultimately who Jesus is, which incorporates also what he has said and done. Our faith stops in and blocks these arrows, the sharp arrows, doubts, thoughts, temptations, whatever they may be, because they're not of God or what God said and did. Our faith, remember, is in him. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Nobody's really responding, so I, hopefully you're at home going, yeah, I know what you're saying. <laughs> Rewind it if you need to. Now, something that you don't get from the movies when you're watching movies uh, about you know, Roman soldiers and you know, uh, battles during those times, that Roman shields were mostly made of wood and they were wrapped with leather and only bound in a, a bit of iron. So there weren't these big uh, metal shields. Now they were big, but they weren't metal. They were actually wood, usually two pieces of wood um, glued together and then wrapped up with leather. But here's the trick. This is so cool. When they were going to battle, they often soaked their shields in water. Paul knew this. And so the shield they took to battle would not only block the sharp arrows, but they would extinguish with the water the fire. They would extinguish the fire because their swords were full of water. Isn't that cool? I mean, I never, never knew that. But I mean, I didn't just read that in one, one commentary. That was talked about over and over. I mean, do you get what's happening here? So if we take up our shield of faith, full of the stuff, it doesn't just stop the arrows, but extinguishes them, rendering them completely ineffective. They can't be used again. The the, the fire's out. Full of the stuff. Doesn't stop just the arrows. Now, our faith in God, in Jesus, is truly a spiritual thing, right? Right? It only comes from what God reveals to us, and it only comes from that deep place of God. So I don't know if there's anything to this, and and hopefully this may not be too far of a jump, but it makes sense to me that that stuff, that water that soaks the shield of faith with represents the Holy Spirit. I mean, because faith without the Holy Spirit It's not really faith at all, right? Hopefully. And then there's the helmet of salvation. Now, I could talk a lot about this, but this is actually really similar to the belt of truth, I think, in the fact that as followers of Jesus, with our spiritual brain, which is really God's spirit inside of us leading the way, we can know, we can know that we are saved. 1 Corinthians 2 says these things God has revealed to us through his through the spirit and that we have the mind of Christ. With our minds we know our position in the salvation of Christ. If you have trouble with that, I mean the first 3 chapters of Ephesians, we looked at that. That's all that Paul talks about that we can be Sure, have the assurance that we are saved. And if you're still wrestling with doubt about the position, I would say the best thing to do is go straight to God and admit it. Maybe you need some friends to come alongside you and pray with you. But let me tell you, God is not worried about your doubts. Look at the book of Psalms. David, the man after God's own heart, expressed a lot of doubts. He just didn't wallow in the doubts, but he brought them to God. Say, I don't know, God. Um, And and just a verse of encouragement. I love this verse. It's another one of my favorites. In Psalm 51, it says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Let me just uh, take a side note. Um, The epistle of of, of Ephesians was written by Paul to the church, um, to people who were already Christians, maybe new in their faith. But there may be some of you out there uh, this morning or later on listening and saying, well, this really isn't true for me because I don't really identify as a Christian or follower of Jesus. I kind of want to speak from my heart, but I did write some things down. So let me just say that this purpose or this ability to truly stand and be protected in the midst of whatever you may be struggling with, whatever problems may be going on in your life, maybe with your past or with relationships or with money issues or health, you know, whatever you may be going through life now, this purpose and this ability to stand and be protected is available now through coming to God. Your life is not too messy or too broken for God. In fact, he loves when people come all broken, anxious, and messed up because he's not impressed by pretentiousness or fake religion. So if you're If you want what we're talking about, it's not about us, it's about God, but if you want want that or or just want to know more, if you have questions about what it means to receive salvation or or become a believer in Jesus, we're here. In a practical way, if you're following um, the the streaming, there's there's actually a prayer room that you can click in and there's people there to pray with you and talk with you. If you're watching this later, Um, You can always send an email. Go to our website, and there's an email that you can send. And if you have questions or want to talk about this, we'll get back in touch with you, and we'll pray for you or or whatever you need. I think that's important to say this morning. Last week, I talked about one of my favorite theologians, Klein Snodgrass. Well, he says, God's salvation is the ultimate assurance of protection that helmet of salvation. Okay, finally, taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If you may, as you may have heard in the past, this is really the only offensive one. The rest of them are kind of defensive to, to hold back the, the, the arrows of the enemy or the attack of the enemy. Now, taking the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, means it starts with the opening the book, the Bible, but it actually moves on. Because we can read scripture every day, read a devotional every day, uh, be involved in the hundred days of pursuit, but if we're not using it or living into it, it doesn't matter. And actually, this word, word that this is the word of God, is actually, if you're unfamiliar, Greek actually has two words for word of God. One is the, logo, the word, the word, the, the written word of God, which will just essentially, that's the logos, the written word of God, the Bible, scripture. But that's not the word that is written in the original Greek here. He's talking about what we translate rhema. Rhema word is actually kind of the divine word of God that comes to us. Now, it obviously can't go, can't contradict the contradict the logos, but that's what he's saying. The word of the Lord, the sword of the spirit is the word of the Lord coming to us. Now again, it can't contradict the logos, but when we're fighting, we need to shout it out. Maybe not actually shout, but we need to declare, be active about it as God is being active with us to swing the sword. You hold the sword up, that's not going to do anything. You need to swing the sword and declare God's promises. Declare what God is saying. Is Satan too powerful for us? Well, if it's just us, yes, he is. But we also know some other things. Luke chapter 10, Jesus says to his disciples, they're talking about the spiritual stuff. And since Jesus was from the beginning and has always been around, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. What do we have all authority over? All the power of the enemy. Yes, Demonic forces are real and powerful and crafty. But we actually have authority over Satan. In Christ, the enemy is actually subject to us. If we have a relationship with Jesus, if we're Christians, he has given us all the weapons and wisdom and we have all the authority, we just need to use it. Take authority over all the power of the enemy in Jesus' name take those promises of God and declare them. So let me end by going back to the first verse of what Scott actually spoke about last week. Um, actually, no, it's the verse, verse of what uh, we did this, this week. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand to withstand in the evil day. And having done all Stand firm. Well, what's the evil day? I don't think we need to wait for it. And I don't think Paul thought we needed to wait either. Consider his words just one chapter earlier. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making best use of the time. Because the days are evil. Ephesians 5. The evil day is now. So stay standing firm. I had a great metaphor about penguins, but I don't have time to share it. If you want to know about my penguin metaphor, you can ask me later. Going back to what Scott said in verse 12, it says we must battle, but the war is not in doubt. Jesus has already won by death and, his death and resurrection. Next week, there's one more big kind of piece of armor, and we'll take it up next week. Amen? God, we thank you that you said that no weapon formed against us will prosper. We thank you, God, that you didn't just say, here's some information, and now you figure figured out and do it, but God, that you are with us, God. You are, you are the commander of the Lord's army. You are the strong and mighty one. God, that we don't have armor of our own, God, but you gave us armor, Lord, and that you've called us to, to be part of this struggle, a part of this fight, which is real. It is based, based in truth and reality, God. But I thank you, Lord, that we don't need to worry. We don't need to be scared. We don't need to be frightened. Because if we're walking with you, if we have a relationship with you, God, we are protected and we have purpose. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters uh, out there this morning who either are struggling with their faith or, or maybe have not ever really fully joined up and, and, and said, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. God, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them this morning or whenever they listen to this, God, and that you would... You would uh, just uh, shower them with your love and understanding. God, your compassion, Lord, that you're compassionate at all uh, uh, to us all, Lord. We thank you, God, for your love, which is is greater than anything, Lord. And I pray, oh God, that with these truths that we've looked at in Scripture this morning, that we would be changed and we would go out and even, is it too big of a thing to say, God, We want to change the world. In Jesus' name, amen.